The walkaway phenomenon in this country has become rather prominent over the past year or so, with many people who used to be liberals or on the left expressing that they were leaving and they were either going to vote Trump or they were just leaving the left. The Democrats are completely fractured. Joe Biden's campaign is an unmitigated and unhinged disaster. He's hiding from reporters. He's hiding in the basement. And Chris Wallace of Fox News said it was the darndest thing. The Democrats aren't actually sending out anyone from the campaign to do any press out of the convention. And it's completely unprecedented. Kamala Harris is unliked. Joe Biden can't speak properly. And now the biggest nail in the coffin, a report from from Fox News, from Politico and other outlets that Barack Obama himself has been dragging Joe Biden as Well, he's basically saying Biden is unfit for office. In fact, in one quote, he said, don't underestimate Joe's ability to F things up. Some people have pointed to Barack Obama's endorsement of Hillary Clinton, where he basically said Hillary's got it. And his endorsement of Joe Biden is basically he's going to bring in people to help him. We saw that tweet from CNN that said Kamala Harris is perfect for Biden if and when he decides to step aside. Biden's referred to himself as a as a transition candidate. Some have reported. And I just got to tell you, It really feels like the Democrats, for one, have no unity, as evidenced by the former president ripping into his own vice president, but that the party is completely fractured. They have no goals for 2020. I don't even know what Joe Biden's policies are because he flip flops so often. He denies being in favor of defunding the police, but says yes, absolutely. When asked if you would support the core tenet of defunding the police, reallocating funding from police to somewhere else. And of course, we're seeing the unhinged conspiracies from the left, which I've talked about quite a bit. And we have developing information that Joe Biden himself goes around saying mail-in voting is great. It's fine. While his own supporters are screaming that the mail-in voting is being, you know, the the post office is is being attacked. There's a conspiracy where people are stealing mailboxes. I'm sorry. I got to stop right here, man. The left has become inundated with infighting, unhinged fringe theories, and a lack of leadership. Obama, possibly the most prominent Democrat today, who is basically out of the limelight, won't even give real support to Biden behind the scenes. Okay, fine. He'll come out and he'll do his press events and he'll say, yeah, yeah, you know, Biden's great. Behind the scenes, we know the truth. These people are fighting with each other. Joe Biden's flip-flopping on issues so rapidly, people are pointing out that under Obama, Obama was called the deporter in chief. Joe Biden was a part of that administration. And now Joe Biden's flip-flop completely on border controls and deportation. No, I'm sorry. The Democrats seem to have nothing that makes sense. Under Donald Trump, he has policies. You can see what he wants to do, whether you agree with him or not. Yet for some reason, people seem to think Joe Biden is on track to win. I'm sorry, man. We just saw Kamala Harris on, on Stephen Colbert's show. And he asked her, he said, you basically called out Biden with some pretty heavy, you know, hammers uh, talking about race, racial issues. And Kamala Harris just started laughing incessantly, gave no real answer. I'm sorry, man. When Obama comes out and says Joe Biden doesn't have it, I'm going to go ahead and say Obama's probably right. Not that I'm a big fan of the guy, but let's, let's actually read what he has to say and see what's going on. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There's many ways you can give. I got a P.O. box, but the best thing you can do is subscribe to this channel. Many people who watch aren't actually subscribed. Just look below the video and there's a red subscribe button. Give it a little click or a tap and you'll be more likely to get my videos every day at 4 p.m. when I put them up. Don't forget to hit the like button, the notification bell. And if you really want to help share this video so more people can learn about what's going on. If you think I do a good job, 
And let's read this first story from Fox News. And then we'll start digging into the weird. I'll I'll just put it this way. I don't think they're actually campaigning. I think they're planning on losing. And I'm going to show you why. Fox reports tensions linger between Biden and Obama camps throughout 2020 primary campaign report. Don't underestimate Joe's ability to F things up. One Democrat who spoke to the former president recalled him saying, they say, despite the best friend bond Joe Biden touts with former President Obama, tensions have lingered between the two statesmen over their vastly different governing styles, according to a political report. To start, a number of anonymously sourced quotes from Obama leaked out throughout the, tw- throughout the 2020 Biden campaign, where the former president allegedly expressed doubts about his former running mate's fitness for, often, uh, for office. Don't underestimate Joe's ability to F things up. One Democrat who spoke to the former president recalled him saying, when lamenting his own dis- diminishing relationship with the current Democratic electorate, particularly in Iowa, Obama reportedly told one 2020 candidate, and you know who really doesn't have it? Joe Biden. I think that's a very, very important statement that people need to hear. Do you like Barack Obama? Many people do. They found him to be, they found him to be charismatic, the champion of the people. I certainly don't agree with those things. But if you liked Barack Obama, he straight up said, Joe Biden doesn't have it. I mean, I guess right now what's really happening is the whole game is to vote against Trump. So that's all they want the focus to be. And that's probably why Joe Biden and Kamala Harris aren't taking press questions and are basically hiding in the basement. Kamala Harris, like I mentioned, went on Colbert and it was a disaster. Joe Biden goes on the air. It is a disaster. I think Barack Obama is right. He doesn't have it. Some Biden aides pointed out that when Obama's endorsement of Biden in 2020 finally did arrive, it didn't have nearly the energy of his endorsement of Hillary Clinton in 2016. Quote, I don't think there's ever been someone so qualified to hold this office, Obama said of Clinton in 2016 in an endorsement video. I believe Joe has all the all of the qualities we need in a president right now. And I know he will surround himself with good people, Obama said in Biden's endorsement video. I found that last line to be particularly interesting. He will surround himself with good people. It's similar to what we've been hearing over and over again. Take a look at this tweet from CNN. It says, Joe Biden made the pick that maximized his chances of continuing to make the race a straight referendum on Trump, while also selecting someone whose resume suggests being ready to step in if and when Biden decides to step aside. When has it ever been the goal of the American people to elect a president who might step aside? No, we elect a president to lead, not to be like, maybe I'll give it to my VP. But this narrative has been, well, it's been perpetuated quite a bit. But we even hear something similar like this from Barack Obama. He's got all the qualities we need, and I know he'll surround himself with good people. Well, I guess so. I guess it's fine. Maybe we're reading too much into it. But the way I kind of see it is, look, it's like grains of sand making a heap. How many statements do we have to hear about Joe Biden having people around him for if and when he steps aside or to lead this nation before we realize if the president, if the former president is saying he doesn't have it and that other people are going to be around him, it's not a particularly good endorsement of the man. They go on to say, and while some senior Democrats credited Biden's ties to Obama for his strong relationship with black voters, Biden has emphasized that he earned their votes all on his own. He told aides after a South Carolina primary win, Obama hadn't lifted a finger to help him. Going back to 2016, when Obama glossed over Biden for Clinton, when he expressed interest in a presidential run, Obama aides tried to frame the president's snub as an act of compassion. Biden, grieving the loss of his son, Beau, in 2015, 
would not be mentally equipped to handle a campaign. But numerous administration veterans, including loyalists to both Obama and Biden, remember it differently. Obama had begun embracing Clinton as a possible successor years before Biden lost his son, while the vice president was laying the groundwork for his own campaign. The political report read Obama had been subtly weighing in against Biden, uh, against Biden himself recalled in Promise Me Dad, his 2017 book. I also believe he had concluded that Hillary Clinton was almost certain to be the nominee, which was good by him. But many credit their differences in leadership style for any perceived tension. Biden loyalists and some Republicans found the formal scholarly statesman Obama had a hard time connecting with those in Congress. Quote, negotiating with President Obama was all about the fact that he felt that he knew the world better than you, said Eric Cantor, the Republican House Majority Leader from 2011 to 2014. And he felt that he had thought about it so much that he had figured it all out. And no matter what conclusion you had come to with the same set of facts, his way was right. Biden, he said, understood that you're going to have to agree to disagree about some things. A former Republican leadership described Obama's style as mansplaining, basically. Meanwhile, Obama's camp reportedly rolled their eyes at the plain spoken gaff prone Biden. You could certainly see technocratic eye rolling at times, said Jen Psaki, the former White House communications director. White House aides reportedly mocked Biden's frequent slip ups and lack of discipline next to almost clerical Obama. They would sneer at how Biden, like an elderly uncle at Thanksgiving, would launch into anecdotes everyone in the room had heard before. Joe Biden being roasted by the former president. There is no leadership. There is no Democratic Party. I know I'm being a bit, you know, it's, a, it's an exaggeration. But the point I'm trying to make is the Democratic Party is split beyond all recognition. Joe Biden was the best they could muster up and Kamala Harris was the best VP they could get. And that will not unify anybody in the party. The only thing Democrats have right now, one thing, Donald Trump. I've heard this meme several times and I find it hilarious. Ask a Democrat, tell me why you're supporting Biden without saying the words Donald Trump. And many people cannot do it. Of course, there are some reasons to. Many people point to the fact that Kamala Harris is the most progressive VP candidate ever and that Joe Biden is malleable and will give in to the demands of the far left. But I think choosing Kamala Harris has soured any chances with getting the far left on board because they call her Cop Mala, a a despotic authoritarian who locked people up past their sentences and a whole bunch of other things that have been reported. But let's take a look at the complete and utter unhinged tactics of what is turning out to be one of the weirdest political campaigns in history. The damnedest thing I've ever seen. Chris Wallace on Biden campaign not putting any surrogates on Sunday shows before convention. Something is wrong with the Democratic Party. I'm sorry. You cannot convince me to vote for you simply by saying, look at him. I've looked at Trump. I've seen what he said. What have you got for me? Nothing. Donald Trump has offered up law and order. He's offered to bolster the economy, to secure our borders, and to do right by America. He's also offered up some things that people are critical of, and that's fine, but he's really made offers. I hear what he's saying. The Democrats are offering nothing, and I mean it, quite literally nothing. Look at this. Chris Wallace, host of Fox News Sunday and author of Countdown 1945, uh, spoke with the Fox News Radio's Guy Benson about the upcoming DNC convention. Wallace spoke to why the Biden campaign isn't putting any campaign surrogates on any of the Sunday shows this weekend before the DNC convention, saying, so I've been doing Sunday shows with conventions. I started on Meet the Press in 1988. 
I've been doing it on and off for what? What is that? 32 years. And it always happens that the Sunday before the convention, the campaign puts out top officials to preview the convention and to say, this is what we're going to try to get accomplished. So, you know, we put counting all we put counting all week on, you know, having a top official from the Biden campaign, the campaign manager, the top pollster, the chief strategist to talk about what they're going to talk about during this next week. They are not putting anybody out. And at first I thought, well, maybe it's because it's Fox News and they're boycotting us. No, they're not putting anybody out on any of the Sunday show's point. I don't understand what's going on here. This is the damnedest thing I've ever seen that you would uh, that you would know you're basically giving a campaign. And as I say, it's a traditional thing. We're going to do it for the Republicans a week from Sunday. What are you trying to accomplish this week? And they, the Biden campaign and, and that the Biden campaign isn't putting anybody out. And this is just a piece with the vice president not doing really any serious interviews, not answering any questions since the rollout. I don't know. Uh, I don't you know, you can try. You can try and I can understand and has worked pretty well. And he continues to lead with what I'll call the basement strategy. I don't think you can hide from now until Election Day. I just don't think it's possible. I agree. It's not possible. But think about how scary this is. We don't know what Joe Biden and Kamala Harris want to do. I mean, what if their policies are to like, you know, start a war or something? They haven't even come out and talked about it. Hillary Clinton came out and debated with Trump about the merits of war and conflict in the Middle East and Syria and the problems with Russia. Joe Biden's hiding. You expect me to blindly vote for Joe Biden just because I don't like Trump? Never going to happen. The best you'd get out of me is that I wouldn't vote. But why would I lend my support to, to Joe Biden? No, I see what Donald Trump is doing. I'll tell you this right now. We've got problems. Donald Trump has offered solutions. What do you expect of me? I have no choice in the matter because you won't say anything. You want to hide in your basement? Fine, go do it. But you know, I, I got to be honest. I wouldn't want to support someone from the Obama administration anyway, let alone Kamala Harris. Well, Bill Maher has actually pointed out he's concerned that Joe Biden is not comfortably ahead. He's not. I think the media is covering up for them. Check this out. Biden staffers rush the press out of the room before Joe Biden can answer any questions. And in this video, there's Kamala Harris and Biden. And sure enough, the staffers say, everybody go, everybody leave. You know why? Every single time. I mean, at this point, either of them do press. It's miserable. It's unhinged. It's broken. It's really weird. They criticize Trump. I tell you what, man, someone recently asked Trump at a press briefing about this, this, this op-ed from Newsweek that Kamala Harris is not a real citizen. And Trump's response was, I just heard about it today. I don't really know anything about it. I hear the guy is a really smart guy. And that was it. And the media runs the narrative. Trump pushes racist birther conspiracy. No, he didn't. He said he didn't know anything about it. Didn't know if it was true. Just heard about it. That's about it. The media does everything in their power to make sure that Joe Biden's campaign works. Why is that? Why is media? Now, Fox News, obviously not. Chris Wallace is confused. They're not sending anybody out. Where's all the other outlets to come out and say, Joe Biden, what are you doing? Nah, they complete his sentences for him. Joe Biden will stutter and stammer. And instead of quoting all the ums and ahs and broken words, they give you the complete sentence. I guess in their minds, it's easier to just give you the, the, the idea that Biden was trying to convey. But I think it's unfair. If Biden says, you know, from blah, 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 I think you got to write down the gibberish in the quote and say, you decide what he said. 
But no, they, they so listen, if Joe Biden says something and the reporter interprets what they think he was trying to say, we don't know what Joe Biden actually said and they could be getting it wrong. Well, I'll tell you what, man, it brings me now to the weird, fractured conspiracy world of the left and the Democrats. It seems to make no sense. Take a look at this. Joe Biden said voting by mail is safe and secure. And don't take my word for it. Take it from the president who just requested his mail-in ballot for the Florida primary on Tuesday. You mean the absentee ballot? Mail-in, universal mail-in voting is when they send out ballots to everyone. Absentee ballots are when you request one. But that brings me now to the far left conspiracies that just persist in media. And for some reason, they don't debunk. This person said, if these picks are real, are we watching mail mailboxes being picked up off the street in Oregon and New York? Are we watching voter suppression in broad daylight right in front of our eyes? In my life, I've never seen trucks hauling mailboxes away. Plus, it's happening in many places before the election. This is what they're saying. You've got Joe Biden saying it's safe and secure and people responding to him saying, no, it's not. They're stealing mailboxes. They're writing stories like this. USPS confirms removal of public mailboxes from Oregon cities. Yes, they did confirm it. But did uh, any of these outlets like Democracy Now! care to finish the sentence as to why they were being removed? I love this. They're being removed because they're being replaced. This to me is actually incredible. Take a look at this story. Photo about removing mailboxes goes viral, but USPS says it's replacing old ones. Was that it? And this is KATU. Look at this. Portland, Oregon. Is someone taking mailbox from around Portland? Now, the other day I said my understanding was they were removing mailboxes because they were mostly empty and the mail carriers had to go around and do massive rounds to mailboxes that had nothing in them. And by centralizing mailboxes, it was lowering the cost of operating for the post office. Something good. I did read that in a news source, but as it turns out, they're saying they're just replacing them. Take a look at this. Is someone taking mailboxes from around Portland? A social media post appearing to show someone putting USPS boxes onto a truck gained traction online. So KATU dug into it and found the post office is the one removing the boxes to replace them because they're old. I I swear, what is happening? This is you've got you've got these left wing publications. They are putting out these narratives. Jamie Lee Curtis, high profile leftists. They say a spokesperson said they've taken down four mailboxes in Portland and more than two dozen in Eugene. They plan to remove more mailboxes from around Portland in the coming weeks. They're replacing them because they're old. Is that it? So actual local journalists did some digging and found out that's all that's happening. I'm telling you, man, it is completely unhinged. But I'll tell you what is freaky to me. Why would Joe Biden be telling everybody that mail-in voting is safe? Everyone go do it at a time when people are freaking out about mailboxes. You'd think he'd bring up, hey, people are concerned about what's going on with the USPS. It's not having proper funding due to, the, you know, due to COVID economics. People aren't sending mail anymore. So they're facing a massive budget shortfall. No, he says, ignore it. Well, I'll tell you what's interesting. This tweet from Jonathan Lay, the PA Department of State in its filing today says mail ballots should be counted if they are received by Friday after Election Day and are postmarked by Election Day, have no postmark or have illegible postmarks, only reject them if they are postmarked after Election Day. What? So wait, wait, wait. you mean to tell me if you want to vote and it's past Election Day, you need only physically bring it and drop it off in the mailbox, the polling station. Don't let it go through the through the through the post office or whatever. Is that what they're saying? I don't think you can do that. I think that's that's got to be illegal or something, right? They're going to be counting mail-in ballots that have no postmark that arrived after Election Day. Okay, 
What have we heard from all of these leftists with all these unhinged conspiracies that Donald Trump would likely win on election day? And then over the coming weeks, they would find more votes from the Democrats proving Joe Biden won and Trump would cry fraud. I mean, it sounds like they're making fraud really easy. And why is it that Fauci says there is no reason Americans can't vote in person in November? Infectious disease expert says it'll be safe to cast ballots in person if voters follow social distancing guidelines. So what's the problem? I don't know. All I know is Joe Biden is hiding in his basement. Kamala Harris has no idea what she's talking about. She's actually relatively far left. I know the far left doesn't think so, but compared to regular Americans, she is. Biden can't speak straight. They're both hiding. Obama himself is dragging Joe Biden. I'm sorry, man. We are looking at one of the weirdest campaigns I have ever seen in my life. And I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I mean, with, 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 with Romney, with Kerry, with Bush, I've been through several elections. I mean, I was a kid during Clinton and stuff, so I didn't really pay attention to all that stuff. But as I was growing up, I started watching. I remember watching, you know, uh, Bush and Gore when I was real young, just like I had no idea what it really meant. But everything went off, you know, not perfectly. But even with Gore and Bush, it wasn't this crazy. They both were campaigning. Unless there's something I miss because I'm not old enough to remember, this is the this weirdest election I've ever witnessed. Maybe there are other weird ones. I think it's entirely possible. We may be looking at a, a, a massive Donald Trump landslide. I do not believe the polls. Bill Maher says he doesn't think Biden is comfortably ahead. What he means by that is, you know, at some, some points in 2016, Hillary Clinton was ahead of, of, uh, of Trump from where Biden is, like even better than Biden, and Trump still won. So perhaps I think the polls are all broken and wrong. I don't think you can have everything I'm showing you over the past weeks and and days. And now this story with even Obama saying Biden's basically unfit and think that people are going to rush out to vote for the guy. Maybe people hate Donald Trump that much. I don't know if I believe it, especially after the mass riots. Take a look at this. Former Obama speechwriter Favreau. Hilarious. Some media outlets calling Harris a moderate. He says it was hilarious to me that she's being called in, in, in all this coverage a moderate. Like Joe Biden has found a fellow moderate or centrist. She supports something extremely close to Medicare for all, which Bernie Sanders acknowledged in his statement supporting her. She's for the Green New Deal. She has one of the most liberal records in the U.S. Senate. Well, there you go. Quote, if you want to call Kamala Harris's record in the Senate and her policies that she's supporting now centrist or moderate, great. If that's where the Overton window has moved, then congratulations to all the progressive activists, because you have effing moved the S out of that window. That's supporting the Green New Deal and basically Medicare for all is now moderate and centrist. Fantastic. I'll take it. But it's not true. It's absolutely not true. The Democrats are off the rails as far as I'm concerned. And let me show you this. I was I was surprised to see it. I said, wow, Colbert obliterated Kamala Harris. Her answer is complete garbage. Is she basically admitting she doesn't actually believe what she said in debates? Like it's normal to lie on stage to win support? This is weird to me. I'm sorry. Maybe it's just me. I see Trump come out and Trump just talks. When Trump talks, you basically can predict what he's going to say because you know how he feels and he says what he really believes. I don't know what Kamala Harris believes. Colbert brings up that he she that Kamala Harris basically said Joe Biden was racist. Now, now, literally, she said, I don't think you're a racist, Joe, but you did these things. I think it's a funny way to frame things like I don't think you're racist, Joe. But yeah, she mentioned a lot of policies from Joe Biden. When Colbert asks her, she just starts laughing 
And then she goes, it was a debate. It was a debate. And just laughs incessantly. I thought to myself, this is nuts. What do you mean it was a debate? What does that mean? Did you not believe the things you were saying? You were just trying to knock him down a peg or two to win public support. People are supporting you because of what they think you're talking about. But no, she had no real answer. And I was surprised to see that Colbert himself got her. Maybe he didn't think it was going to go this poorly, but boy, did it ever. And I'll tell you what this interview reminded me of. Hillary Clinton, she loved to ignore answers and just start laughing. And it's off-putting. Don't like, could you imagine? I've not seen uh, other candidates. Uh, look, Joe Biden gets mad. He gets asked about his dementia test. He goes, come on, man. Look, come on. Donald Trump just goes, what? Excuse me, who? But Kamala, but Hillary, they just start laughing. Who told them this is what you do? Who told them Americans like it when instead of answering questions, you just start laughing? I don't know. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen because it's nothing to do with 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 gender. This is like a learned behavior. There are certainly many female politicians who don't behave the way that Hillary and Kamala did. I find the whole thing absolutely unhinged, fractured and downright confusing. But hey, I'll give it to Obama. Not that I'm a big fan of the guy, but hey, if he says Biden is unfit, Barack, I'll take your word for it. Great. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at youtube.com slash timcastnews starting at 6 p.m. Thanks for hanging out, and I will see you all then. To be completely honest, I'm not convinced that anybody knows how many nights of rioting have already happened in Portland because people keep giving different numbers. I'm seeing 77, 76, 78, 79, 80. It's hard to know for sure, but I think we're at night 77. I don't know how important it is to count the numbers, but it's getting worse. And that's, that's the real issue here. Last night in Portland, they marched through residential neighborhoods unimpeded. I kid you not. This was it. The state police have retreated from the city. They said the DA will not prosecute these criminals, even if they assault officers. And now Antifa, Black Lives Matter riders are just marching around, as Andy No describes, marauding. I love that word. And I was like, I, I'm not entirely sure marauding is the, is the right word. I looked it up. I guess it actually makes sense. But we'll talk about what's going on in Portland. I got to show you this story first. Seattle Black Lives Matter protesters demand white people give up their homes. They marched through residential neighborhoods and they demanded white people give up their homes. Where are the police? Well, the police are being defunded. What's going on in Portland? Why can't they stop the rioters going through the neighborhoods? Oh, because the district attorney is a far left militant as far as I, I, would, I would make that assumption based on who he associates with. And thus, your extremist morality police they're here. And these cities voted for it. Now they're going to flee and they're going to leave behind this wake of destruction. You either voted for it or you didn't vote. And I, I assume a lot of people who didn't vote will leave. I also believe there's a lot of people who are probably voting for Republicans, but just couldn't muster up enough to actually get a Republican to defeat these crazy, you know, extremists. And now the cities become a wasteland. Too many people are complacent. And they need to pay attention to what's going on. Otherwise, they will come to your house next. How many times have I told you they're going to show up to your house? I didn't, th- I, I didn't predict this, that they would go to residential neighborhoods and demand people give up their homes. But I can make many assumptions about what's, what is the next step in going to residential neighborhoods, beating up residents, and then demanding their homes. There's not going to be any police to help you. And a lot of these states, not, not particularly Washington and Oregon, but Many states, 
They make it very difficult for you to own a firearm to defend yourself. So what happens when your police are defunded? Because we're seeing police be defunded across the board. And then the morality police show up and there's no district attorney to do anything about it. And they take whatever they want. That I think, well, I think we're going to start seeing some more stuff like this. Let's read the story and then, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into Portland. Seattle Black Lives Matter protesters demand white people give up their homes. They were chanting, give up your house, give people back their homes. What are you going to do about it? Open up your wallets. Give them back their homes. You can make an argument, I suppose, about land, you know, and Native Americans, but that's a whole other argument and, and not one I particularly find compelling in any capacity. Because what are we going to do? Are we going to go to every single European nation and try and calculate who lived there before anybody else? That's ridiculous. People have houses. That's that's about it. You know, they live there. But it's not about it's not about what's what's right or wrong. It's about them taking power. The New York Post says a group of Black Lives Matter protesters in Seattle marched through a residential neighborhood this week, demanding that white residents give up their homes. Dramatic video shows footage of the Wednesday demonstration posted to Twitter shows a crowd of dozens chanting Black Lives Matter before an unidentified man projects his ire toward nearby white residents, saying they're living in a historically black section of the city as another woman in the crowd yells that they should give up their homes. The clip shows. Do you know that before your white A came here, this was all black people, the man says. Do you know people like you came in here and basically bought all the land from, from the black people for less than it was worth, kicked them out so you could live here? Do you know that? The man continues, because if you don't, now you effing do, now do something about it. Okay, so to, uh, correction, they're talking about gentrification. It's, a, it's, it's nonsensical. If somebody sells their property, they got paid for it. That's ridiculous. The only thing we can actually see from everything they've demanded is that they're really just demanding communism. I mean, think, think about it. Pay gap. Why is it that some people get paid more for one job than, than, than another job? So what do you want? Everyone get paid a flat salary for every job, no matter what it is they do? That makes no sense. What about this? Well, the, the property is actually worth more. It's worth more now because, you know, repairs and gentrification. Are we supposed to make it so that every property costs the exact same? And also, I, I take issue with the, the kind of racial, I don't know, I guess you can call it racialism from groups like this that are saying this neighborhood was this race, therefore return it. Dude, this is America, man. We're a melting pot, remember? Another woman in the crowd then urges the residents to open their wallet as the man continues to yell at the unidentified residents off camera. So how do you plan to fix it? The man continues as a gentrifier because you are part of that problem. A woman with a megaphone then urges the residents to give up their house. The footage shows give black people back their homes. You're sitting there comfortably, comfortable as F as if they don't, they didn't help gentrify this neighborhood. I used to live in this neighborhood and my family was pushed out. And you're sitting up there having a good time with your other white friends. A second clip purportedly shows Black Lives Matter demonstrators and Antifa calling for white people to get the F out as others in the crowd call for reparations. Give us our S back. Yet another clip apparently shot in the aftermath of the protest also shows demonstrators threatening a business owner. I want to clarify, they keep saying protester and demonstrator. Right now, this story, is, they're not burning and destroying everything. But I still don't think you're a protester if you're threatening people based on race and demanding their property. So I, I, whatever, man, you call whatever you want. They were threatening a business owner who allegedly called the cops to report that a window had been shattered at his business. You're being racist. You're being racist. A protester tells the unidentified white business owner, check your privilege, check your privilege. If you try and call the cops because they smash your property, you're a racist now. How insane is this? 
This was never your neighborhood, the man's rant continues. This was never your neighborhood. The mask-clad white man then refuses to identify his business before being threatened as he walks away, the clip shows. Yeah, we'll make sure to support you, they continue. Hey, look, we don't know what happened. We ain't seen S. We don't know S. You better hope we don't find out, though. That's not a threat. That's a promise. One of the protesters was then taken into custody. It was, it was a second man who yelled. That, that, that's a promise. One of the protesters was then taken into custody for alleged vandalism. As other Black Lives Matter demonstrators yelled obscenities at cops, footage shows. Seattle Police Chief Carmen Best stepped down this week, uh, effective September 2nd. Okay, let me, let me tell you something. I've been watching videos, man. I'm sure most of you have. I saw the videos out in New York. People standing randomly in the street. There, there are, these, the, the, these cities are becoming the Wild West of political zealotry and fanaticism. In New York, there was a video of like random people just walking through random streets. And when a car tries driving through, they block him and start screaming at him back up. Not for any real reason, just because they have that power, because there is nothing anyone will do to stop them. It's going to happen everywhere. Did you know that they raised the bridges in Chicago again? I kid you not. If you're familiar with Chicago, raising the bridges shuts down access to a large portion, and it's very difficult to get back into the downtown area. There's a, the Chicago's got a river that goes through the downtown. All the bridges get lifted up. Now nobody can cross, except for like one key area for emergency vehicles and general traffic. They're trying to restrict the flow into the downtown area. They restricted access because of the rioting and the looting, and none of them will ask Trump for help because they have too much pride, I guess. Take a look at this. Kaylin from Scriber says hundreds of Antifa militants are marching through a residential North Portland neighborhood. Take it to the streets and F the police. Now I have this tweet from Andy. No, he says a Portland resident caught up in the Antifa protest says he was beat up. His head is bloodied. Now, full disclosure, Andy tweeted a video of the incident and the man has blood on his face. YouTube does not allow me to show you the actual violent activities. I know. But listen, as much as I would love to let you know and show you what's going on, there are people who have, you know, told me in the past to blur and they're, you know, graphic images. They don't want them shown specifically because people have kids who want to watch, you know, kids who sit with them and they and they listen in on things like this. But I'll just tell you this. I'm just doing my best to make sure you know it's happening. And if you want to see all the videos, follow Andy No on Twitter. That's at M-R-A-N-D-Y-N-G-O. Andy is one of the best sources for covering what's going on. And he has the full video. But you've heard it. A local resident was bloodied up. And here we go. Police repeatedly block North Portland March advance on protesters Friday. While that's sort of true, uh, let me let me issue some corrections as I normally do for Oregon Live. They're not protesters. They're rioters and extremists. Yes, the police did march on them. But in many instances, the far left Black Lives Matter extremists were marching around destroying things with impunity. And it's not an exaggeration. Andy No tweets, marauding Antifa black block in Seattle, smash up. Pro- oh, I'm sorry. This is Seattle. Uh, this is, yeah. So, OK, rioters have turned parts of North Portland into a war zone here. It takes a group of officers to make an arrest of an Antifa militant. The person tries to steal a baton from police. Meanwhile, Antifa legal observers get his info so they can bail him out. So correction, I missed it. I, I confused Seattle with with Portland from the tweets from Andy. So the police are still engaging with these rioters in various parts of Portland. In Seattle, however, where the police have just been defunded and the, and the police chief has stepped down, marauding Antifa black block in Seattle smash up property as they march around the city. People watch in disbelief. No police. I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned this earlier. I don't know if marauding is the correct term, 
So I, I looked it up. I, under, I know what marauding means, but I was like, does, is this apt? Well, maraud, it means to roam in search of things to steal or people to attack. War parties cross the river to maraud. Okay. <laughs> it's similar to plunder, but you know, to be completely honest, I don't know if they're, I, I guess you can argue they're plundering. I don't think for the most part, they're actually stealing. In Seattle, they smashed up the windows of a ton of businesses and then took all of the merchandise, threw it in the middle of the street and torched it. So that's something else. It's literally the Dark Knight. You ever see the Dark Knight, the, the you know Batman movie? There's that scene where Michael Caine is talking to Christian Bale, where you know uh, Alfred is talking to, to Bruce, and he said, "You know, the Joker is a different kind of villain, right?" He tells him the story about how these gems were being stolen, and it, it, one day the guy finds a kid playing with this, this ruby, and it turns out the guy who was stealing them was doing it just because he thought it was good sport. He didn't actually care for the, for the value of, of, of the items. And that's basically what's happening in Portland. There's a viral tweet going around from one of these extremists. And I don't think it's actually, uh, I, don't, I don't think that the, the tweet is necessarily indicative of like a leader position or anything like that. Look, here, the point I'm saying is it's like a random person. But what they did say is that their strategy in Portland is to wear the police down through attrition because they can keep coming out night after night. It costs them relatively little. The city is spending insane amounts of money and resources to try and stop the riots. So long as the rioters need only show up with their you know, black hoodies and sunglasses and masks, then they can eventually wear down the police and they'll win. Normally, that wouldn't be true because the district attorney would actually do something about it. Unfortunately for everybody else, the district attorney is actually presumably on the side of these people. I don't know if I have the tweet actually uh, uh, pulled up from Andy No. I tweeted about it, but I don't think I have it. Basically, he, he mentions that the new DA who says they're not going to be prosecuting Antifa recently went on a radio program to do an interview with far left extremists talking about reimagining community policing. And this is what they mean. I'm warning. I'm warning you guys. I know I know you watch these videos, so you've probably heard it enough, but but take this seriously. Share if you want to help support the channel, you can you can share this. You can subscribe. You can follow my main channel at timcast.net. But I am telling you, people need to know that it is only a matter of time before they follow through on their threats and they make people give up their homes. They will come to your house. They will throw you out and they will laugh about it. And there won't be any police to do anything about it. I've already heard these stories of people who buy homes and then they'll like go on a work trip for the weekend, come back and there's someone living there and like broke in and trashed the place. And the police are like, we can't, it's a civil dispute. You know, the person living there says, I've always lived here. And the cop will be like, we can't evict them. And, and you're like, they broke in. They don't live here. They're, they're criminals. Stories like this happen. And it's, it's particularly bad for people who go on vacation. Squatters will come and be there for a few weeks. And they'll be like, nope, we've been here for a long time. They're trying to evict us. And the cops say, civil dispute. We can't get involved. So what happens when Black Lives Matter extremists show up to your front door, kick it in, walk in your house, and start banging pots and pans and screaming. And there's like a hundred of them. And they grab you and they throw you out. And that's it. And they lock your doors. What do you think is going to happen? The cops going to show up and do anything about it? They might. But I'm kind of leaning towards, I don't think so. I really don't think so. I mean, just think about the circumstance, right? If these people in Seattle or Portland went to a random house and kicked the door in and started romping about in the house, they'd be gone before the cops ever showed up for one thing. But what are the cops going to do? Like, well, seriously, what could they do? Are they going to surround the house and say, get out? Maybe. But the prosecutors won't arrest anybody. 
Well, I'm, I'm won't prosecute. To be fair, the Multnomah County DA said, unless it's deliberate property damage. What if it's the one person kicks the door and runs away and other people just go in the house and sit down or refuse to leave? They're talking about taking people's homes. I don't know how the police would be able to accommodate getting these people out without everything being destroyed, especially when state police already said we out. I don't think the Portland police are going to be able to stand up for much longer. And this is what will happen when there's no cops. If they defund the police or disband them like they did in Minneapolis, and they're, um, I know a lot of people don't like hearing the, the pessimism or whatever, but I'm telling you, man, they're marching through neighborhoods saying these things. The next step is after the police are disbanded, they take them. They just, they're going to, they're going to kick the door in and be like, this one's mine. And what could anyone really do to stop it? Now, to be fair, in Oregon, we've, uh, uh, you, I believe it's an open carry state. I think so. You can, everybody, look, you can bear arms, at least in your home, for sure. Some states are not castle doctrine states. Some are partial, partial castle doctrine. I think, you know, you're nuts if you want to stay in these cities. However, a lot of people have no choice. You can't just sell your home. Your equity's tied up in it. It's all you have, or you're underwater in your mortgage, just whatever. A lot of people might have houses and they might be tripped. Some people might be renting and they don't have the money for a deposit, you know, or, or last month or whatever to move to a new property, let alone to get in a vehicle and actually drive somewhere. So they have no choice but to stay. And this is what brings me to the last, the, the last little bit portion of this segment. What's going to happen come November? I know a lot of this may seem pessimistic, but I'm going to give you the, uh, the, the, the optimism right now. At least, well, it's not necessarily optimism for, for everybody, but at this point, I think so. I do. I think Donald Trump is looking at a potential landslide. I'm not exaggerating. Um, I, there, there's been periods where in the past where I was like, Trump's going to landslide for these reasons. And then there was some negative things that happened. And I'm like, wow, this is starting to look bad for Trump, actually. Now I'm, I'm, I'm starting to be more convinced that Trump is on track for a landslide. Notably, he's going after New York. Trump wants to be the first president since Reagan to win New York. And he might even try to get California. People are fleeing these places. And that's bad. But what about the people left behind? They're panicked. Do they think the Democrats are going to do anything to help them? I don't believe so. Donald Trump will. Trump sent the feds out in Portland and the feds did their job. It was the Democrats in the state who told them to back off. So Trump did. And then the state police retreated from the city saying, we can't do this. Amazing. Their local politicians have failed them. And the federal government is their only choice. I think this is the biggest mistake of the left. And I wonder if this is why Joe Biden be Biden. You may have seen a tweet. I tweeted this out. Chris Wallace uh, of uh, Fox News said he is shocked the Biden campaign has sent out no one to talk about their plans just before the DNC. It's never happened before, or at least in a really long time, because, you know, TV didn't exist at one point, but he's, he's never seen it before. Biden's not campaigning. I think Kamala and Biden might be throwaway candidates. They know they're going to get steamrolled in the election. And we may see a, a 49 state landslide, maybe a 50 state landslide. That'd be amazing. I'm not sure. I don't think that's ever happened before. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, I guess technically George Washington, but there weren't 50 states, but you know, a total state landslide just because everybody was like, all right, you do it, right? I don't know exactly what we will see. Part of me is still worried that the Democrats will win because I don't trust the system. And I think the establishment plays dirty games. But all of this stuff, it's, it's forcing people who have no choice, no choice but to stay, to consider their real options. It's activating the, the silent and sleeping majority. People who normally don't get political because they don't have to now have no choice but to stand up and do something. 
And the first and most important thing they can do is vote. At the very least, maybe it won't be Donald Trump who landslides. Maybe it will be Ted Wheeler, the, the mayor of Portland. It might be the governor, Kate Brown. It might be the AG. Everybody just gets wiped out in the, in the next elections. These states might turn red at local levels. Donald Trump is going to try and win New York. And I got to say, I think he can do it. I really do. I don't believe the polls. Apparently, Bill Maher was saying something similar, that Biden is not comfortably ahead. And these people, in my opinion, like, like Bill Maher, it's unfortunate that he won't actually pay attention. I feel like people like him are semi-retired. They're just, you know, they, they come on the show and they say, what's my script? Okay, and I'll read it. And if Bill Maher actually knew what was going on and actually had a conversation about it, he'd probably begrudgingly support Trump. And I mean it. That's why he needs to have a real conversation with somebody about what's going on in these places. Um, let, me, let me ask a simple question to the people like Bill Maher, the holdouts. You've seen now 77 days of riots. On night, night 39, when they broke into the courthouse, Trump bolstered federal law enforcement to protect the building. There was no unidentified stormtroopers. They had badges on. They, the van was unmarked, but police used unmarked vehicles. They detained two people for questioning. They were released. A judge ruled this was not widespread, a widespread practice. Isn't, what, what, are you, what, are you, what are you complaining about? To the, uh, to the AG. Well, they asked the feds to leave. So the feds did. And the chaos got worse. So why, Bill Maher, should any regular rational American trapped in these cities who can't afford to leave, who lost their jobs, who are terrified, support a Democrat who failed them and is supporting the ongoing riots? Ted Wheeler came out and stood with them. He didn't give in to their demands, but he did. He stood with them. He got gassed while they were throwing explosives. Then he went back inside. They declared a riot a half an hour later. Kate Brown has repeatedly demeaned and, and, and called out Trump. They are pandering to the extremists while the residents suffer. So for all the problems with Trump, all the things you don't like about him, you're going to have to give me a good reason why I should support the people who won't stop the, the crazies versus the guy who will. I'll tell you what, arguing about Trump's policies and demeanor, in my opinion, is it's a luxury. It is a luxury because survival comes first. And right now there's extremists marching through neighborhoods, vandalizing property, marauding, beating people on, more, on multiple occasions now. And Trump is the only one who said he will enforce the law. All they need do is ask, but they won't. They say, no, get out. So you can argue that Trump's got a potty mouth. You can argue that he's got bad policies. There's a lot of things I, I wouldn't want to vote for a Republican for. There's a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, classical wedge issues from the past decade that I wouldn't want to support. But right now, all of those things are luxuries. The one thing we're dealing with that needs to be addressed is survival. If they're going to come to your neighborhood and burn things down and you have the option, and, and that's your immediate concern, and you have the option of some Democrat who's not doing anything about it and a Republican who's saying, I will end this. Just say the words and we will send out law enforcement to arrest these terrorists. I know who I'm voting for because we can't have a real discussion about policy and progress in this country when people are running around smashing and destroying things. And that's what's going to keep happening. And I'll tell you what happens next. Tomorrow, I'm going to wake up, like I've been saying, and I'm going to be like, oh, look at that. It's night, you know, 78 of the riots. And guess what? It got worse. I know there's a lot of people who don't like the constant negative stream of information. It's really what news becomes. And that's why I try to say that the, the optimism here is that maybe there's a light at, the end of the light, at, light at the end of the tunnel, especially if you're a Trump supporter. If you're not a Trump supporter, it's, hey, man, it's better than nothing, right? 
And that's why I think a lot of people are going to begrudgingly vote for Donald Trump. There, there have been some people who ask me, like, why would you say begrudgingly, Tim? And I'll make it simple. It's because I'm being forced to do it. It's not a choice where I'm like, look at this list of policies from the president. These are, these are great. There's a few things I absolutely, criminal justice reform was great. Uh, freezing federal student loan interest was great. Afghanistan, these are things I'm really, I'm, I'm happy about. And Trump's got multiple issues that he's, he's, he's done that I'm happy about. And he's dramatically improved his behavior in the past several years. So you know what? It's, it's begrudging because they're forcing me to do it. But as I've always said, Trump is bad. He's not that bad. He's not that bad. In fact, he's, he's, he's good on many things. I've said that before. I'll say it again. I have no trouble saying it. You, you, people got to realize, I don't, see, I don't see the world the way you do, okay? And, and there's a lot of people who are hardcore Trump supporters who are like, why won't Tim just say, you know, it's great? And I'm like, it's not how I feel. It's not what I see. But I'll tell you this, Trump has dramatically improved. There's the, the, the Afghanistan withdrawal. There's a lot of things that I think are, I, I, are fantastic. He did great for the economy. So you know what? At this point, it's about survival. The Democrats are not going to protect us as these riots get worse and worse and worse. So I, I, I think the optimism here is that people are going to be forced to vote for Donald Trump. And that means there may be an opportunity to end the chaos. We'll see how things play out. I'll see y'all tomorrow uh, again for my, my morning updates. But I will have another segment coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. And you can also go to TimCast.net for my main channel, which will be at 4 p.m. Thanks for hanging out. I will see you all at 1 p.m. Could this be the end of California as we know it? Maybe. Not only are people fleeing the state, many of these cities, not only are we dealing with a massive economic crisis and a violation of human rights from LA's mayor, Garcetti, who said he's going to shut off your utilities if you peaceably assemble. He said if you had a party, but you get the point. You can assemble for whatever reason you want under the Constitution. He's going to violate your rights. Look, man, I want to empathize with everybody who's still, who's still in California, but look at this story. California orders rolling blackouts for up to 250,000 homes and businesses as heat wave grips the state with temperatures hitting 112 degrees and crowds flocking to beaches. I'm sorry, this could be people dying. It's at a certain point, you've just got to get out of these cities. I mean, the riots are bad enough. The, the policy mismanagement, bad enough. New York City also facing massive, you know, a mass exodus, half a million plus people leaving. Moving companies are, are booked up completely. I wonder where it is everybody is going. But according to the SF Gate now, San Francisco is experiencing a, an historic exodus from the city. Uh, housing vacancies are, 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 are just skyrocketing. But the thing that scared me the most, and we can talk about the horrible policies of California, notably their new wealth tax proposal, which is going to try and tax somebody who left within the past 10 years. I kid you not. You live in California nine years ago and you leave, they're going to try and file taxes against you. What are you going to do? You're going to send California state police to New York? That's ridiculous. But that shows you how desperate they've become. And to me, this shows the state is in dire straits. What will this mean moving forward for the elections? I can't tell you, but I can tell you rolling blackouts for those that live there now. In this heat, people could die. Here's a story from Daily Mail. California orders rolling blackouts. They say California utility companies are rolling out a massive blackout across the state that could impact some 250,000 homes and businesses in an effort to curb electricity shortages as more people stay home during the pandemic. Grid managers last implemented such a power cut in 2001 when the state was suffering from an electric crisis. On late Friday, 
The California independent system operator declared a stage three emergency, Bloomberg reports. Residents in the state still took to the beach on Friday, however, enjoying the blazing heat. This is good news. I'm glad they're not going to go arrest all of these beachgoers because if they're rolling, if if South Pasadena is facing a rolling blackout, well, people need to get out of the heat and going to the beach could be one way to save them, you know, staying, staying in the water at least a little bit. CBS Los Angeles reported South Pasadena has gone dark after Cal ISO declared a statewide stage three electrical emergency, prompting rolling power outages. Absolutely crazy. They say this comes as residents are forced to spend more time at home during the pandemic and are using their AC units more. Well, they, they need to. San Joaquin Valley is set to have blazing temperatures of 112 degrees Fahrenheit. Los Angeles is, is expected to reach 96 degrees. So, okay, not the valley is going to get bad or well, one of the valleys. As many as 250,000 homes and businesses served by Pacific Gas and Electric Co. could be impacted by the outage, according to the company. They noted that counterparts in other areas of the state were being directed to take similar actions. The SF Chronicle reports. We can see a bunch of photos. In the San Diego and Southern Orange County areas, Sempra Energy's San Diego Gas and Electric Utility said one hour rotating shutoffs will be widespread across its territory. The California ISO is working closely with California utilities and neighboring power systems to manage strain on the grid and to restore the power grid to full capacity, the agency said in a Friday statement. The National Weather Service forecast an extensive heat wave starting this weekend and lasting until late, late next week. Excessive heat warnings have been issued for much of California for Friday and through Wednesday. Solar generators for the state will also be impacted as cloud cover from tropical storm Elita is expected to crimp output. Talk about a perfect storm of just yikes, man. For a lot of reasons, I and many others have been warning you guys got to get out of the big cities. Suburbs aren't necessarily the right answer. And for a lot of people who aren't familiar, LA is basically just one big urban sprawl but it's not a centralized city like Chicago or New York. It's actually a bunch of smaller cities and LA proper is relatively small. So when people say Los Angeles, they're typically referring to the county of Los Angeles, the county of Los Angeles, which is massive. So I don't know. You do what you got to do, man. But we're seeing people actually heed this warning. The 2020 San Francisco exodus is real and historic report shows. Take a look at this. Real estate inventory change from February to July 2020. Los Angeles, the exodus is legit. Okay, we're seeing inventory uh, is increasing, which means people don't live there. The houses are available. We see this in LA and San Francisco. But interestingly, in Boston, in Miami, in Seattle and Washington, there still is it, it still is relatively low. But there's one thing you can see for everything except Miami in Boston vacancy uh, 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 inventory is starting to decrease. In Los Angeles, it absolutely is decreasing. San Francisco, a near 100% increase in, available, in, in, in inventory and availabilities. Seattle is going up. Washington is going up. People are fleeing cities. That is a fact. And I got to tell you, man, it is absolutely, in my opinion, due to democratic mismanagement. I had a conversation with a friend of mine in LA, and they said, these Democrat cities, man, what's going on? And I'm like, dude, it's been obvious for a while now, right? I mean, I just covered the riots in Portland, the, 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 the state police pulling out. I mean, look, man, that should be the most obvious. Take a look at what's going on in Chicago. They, you, they raised the bridges. Richmond, Virginia, there were riots there. Did you know that? 
A lot of people didn't know that. New York put sick people in, in nursing homes, and that's where a good portion of the deaths came from. This is beyond mismanaged. This is, uh, look, one thing I've been, I've been kind of harping on for a bit is that I think the problem is due to the fact that the mainstream media only entertains the left-wing narrative. They never actually have a balanced conversation about what's going on. And social media platforms will ban people who actually challenge the prevailing narrative. And thus, the only thing you will get from these politicians is if the left wants it, we are pandering to them for re-election. So we will give them this insanity. And there is no plan. There's no real plan. The cities are in free fall, crumbling, and people are dipping out. And we got a big story. How about this one? Joe Rogan leaving Los Angeles for freedom in Texas signals coming exodus from liberal cities. Boy, did they call it. Chuck DeVore, Rogan isn't just griping. His comments are fundamentally a political critique of California's one party governance by the increasingly far left. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Joe, I got really bad news for you, buddy. Check it out. California wealth tax could become first of its kind in U.S. under new proposal. Talk about horrifying management. They're basically trying to implement a 0.4% wealth tax on anybody who's lived in California for the past 10 years. Even if you leave, Joe, you're leaving LA. It's too late. They're going to try and impose this tax on you. Now, I got I to gotta say, I don't know how you can pull that off. Retroactive tax enforcement? What, are the state troopers going to show up to Texas and try and hunt Joe down because he's leaving? Take a look at this, and then we'll talk about the exodus from, uh, from L.A. with Joe. A group of state lawmakers on Thursday proposed a first-in-the-nation state wealth tax that could hit about 30,400 California residents and raise an estimated $7.5 billion for the general fund. The tax rate would be 0.4% of net worth excluding directly held real estate that exceeds $30 million for single and joint filers and $15 million for married filing separately. Most of you are probably familiar with the idea of a wealth tax on net worth. Let me tell you what this means. It means that if you receive a painting from a, I don't know, your grandpa dies, and it turns out he has an old painting worth, you know, a million bucks, a wealth tax would mean they would charge you, uh, so 0.4%, not necessarily that much, a couple thousand dollars, they would charge you this, this money that you don't have simply because the painting is worth something. So what, what, if, you, what, what if you don't have the cash, right? What, what they're really saying with the, the basic idea of a wealth tax is that your stocks, your metals, your hard assets, your car, for instance, your, all of these things are your wealth and they're going to tax everything and they liken it to a property tax. Now, I think there's a generally fair assessment in how, you know, in, in the idea but the idea doesn't make sense, right? Property tax is essentially you're connected to all these utilities and you're paying for the community. Some people have a problem with it. Yet you're, you're essentially paying rent to the city. But if you own something and it becomes more valuable, all of a sudden you have to pay more money on it. Okay, listen, I think they're excluding real estate specifically because you already, play, you already pay massive property taxes on it. But the general idea of what they're doing is substantially more insane than anything we've heard yet. Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders have, have ranted about their wealth tax proposals, which in my opinion make no sense because if you have an asset, it doesn't mean you can actually pay for it. And so what ends up happening is, so Jeff Bezos, for instance, does not have liquid assets in the hundreds of billions of dollars that they would claim. If he's ever lived in California, they're going to come for 0.4% of his net worth. He doesn't have that cash. 
I think I think the, the news estimates that he may be, he maybe have in liquid assets, not, not, not necessarily cash, between five and fifteen million dollars, which would be like it, it would literally be impossible for him to pay for anything. So what do they do? Do they seize his stock in the company? That would destroy the company outright. Everybody would sell instantly and the, and the stock would become worthless. The idea makes literally no sense. But add on top that California will try and hunt you down 10 years after the fact. That's amazing. They're saying California is facing a big budget deficit because of the health and economic crisis brought on by the coronavirus. And we can't simply rely on austerity measures to close it, said Rob Bonta, a Democrat from Oakland, lead author of AB 2088. We must consider revenue generation. The state is horribly mismanaged. It's collapsing. Rolling blackouts are sweeping through some cities. People are talking about homeless everywhere, garbage piling up everywhere. People are being evicted. I think what's scary about that mass exodus, let me, let me tell you something. They call this the exodus. I think the increase in inventory may be due to people being forced out of their homes. Now, I understand that many areas have implemented a moratorium on evictions. Doesn't mean people aren't leaving because they're being forced to do so. This is where things get scary. California is not going to, it can't sustain this. Their, their, their goal now is to try and tax people who left the state. That is terrifying desperation. You need to understand that this could lead to some very, very dramatic and dangerous consequences. Think about it. How will California enforce taxing Joe Rogan, for instance? Let's say they pass. Let me, let me, let me read a little bit more. They say he admitted that the union sponsored bill will not be heard before the legislature uh, before the legislature adjourns August 31st, but it can be reintroduced one day of the next uh, on day one of the next session. Bonta said he would like to see a wealth tax passed in addition to the millionaires tax proposed in a bill introduced in late July. AB 1253 would add surcharges of 1% to incomes joined or single between roughly 1 million and 2 million, 3% on income between 2 million and 5 million and 3.5 on income greater than 5 million, bringing the top rate to 16.8. California's top rate today at 13.3% is already the highest in the nation. What did Cuomo say about New York? God forbid if the rich leave, desperately begging them to come back. And California's answer is, let's increase our state income tax to 16.8% and a wealth tax on hard assets for anybody who's lived here in the past 10 years. Let's see what happens. Joe Rogan moves to Texas. He's setting up a new studio there. He's making a ridiculous sum of money from Spotify. He begins paying taxes to the state of Texas. California says, actually, Joe Rogan owes us those taxes. Joe Rogan says, no, I don't. I don't live there. And you're not going to pass a law after I've already left. The state says otherwise. Let's see if California tries to send in state law enforcement or issues a warrant. Would Texas honor a warrant from California? Would the FBI? That to me is, 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 is insane. I can't imagine it'd be constitutional that some other jurisdiction can impose a tax in a different state. Would Texas stand for that? And how would this conflict be resolved? Would California deploy their law enforcement in Texas to go after Joe Rogan for tax evasion, even though he doesn't live there? I think the answer is yes, I really do. They're facing a massive budget shortfall. They have rolling blackouts. They're becoming desperate. They need money. They need resources. They need to generate revenue. And I think they'll do it. It's, we're talking about survival. I don't see them just backing down. That, well, maybe, maybe they won't even pass this, mind you, for sure. They say this. 
Real estate would be exempt from the wealth tax because it's already subject to property tax at a higher rate. It's far easier to call for a state level wealth tax than it is to actually design an enforceable one, said Jaron Walchak, a vice president with the Tax Foundation, a think tank. Maybe that's why no state has imposed one. Some New York legislators are floating the idea, but Governor Cuomo has poured cold water on the notion, rightly concerned that it would lead to an exodus of high net worth individuals from the state. Implementing a wealth tax at the state level would be extremely complex with questions of how to value illiquid assets and whether residents out of state wealth, including their investment holdings, can be taxed. He added, any tax that is actually effective at taxing wealth, however, would be equally effective at driving wealth out of the state. And that's the point. They are destroying everything and people are fleeing. And it's funny to see that, you know, Joe Rogan, I, I use Joe because he's you know, the biggest podcast in the world. And people are pointing out he's, he's moving. He posted an Instagram photo of his new studio. They say the Hollywood scene used to be filled with Joe Rogan's free spirits who spoke their minds. Sure, liberals dominated the world of entertainment, but non-liberals, at least those who had already made it out or who possess a certain level of moral courage, could and did speak out. The era of free speech has come to a close. He goes on to say, what exactly did Joe Rogan say that signaled his big move from Los Angeles to Texas? During a podcast conversation with guest Joe DeSena, Rogan said, I'm out of here. I'm going I'm going to go to Texas. I just want to go somewhere in the center of the country, somewhere it's easier to travel to both places and somewhere where you have a little bit more freedom. While Rogan complained about LA's infamous traffic and population density, he also cited the area's economic despair and a homelessness problem that's accelerated radically over the last six, seven, ten years. Rogan isn't just griping. His comments are fundamentally a political critique of California's one party governance by the increasingly far left. Yes, 100% correct. Los Angeles has tried to pass some kind of housing reform to end the homelessness problem, and they have failed every step of the way, even with a Democratic supermajority. The mismanagement has become real. Like I was saying with media, when the only thing you hear and, you're o- and the only thing you're allowed to say is the left wing narrative, then nothing ever changes. No one will dare counter, say, the COVID narrative and the economic shutdown because you'll get banned, you'll get silenced, you'll get mocked, you'll get ridiculed. On the right, you have people challenging some of the narratives of, say, Dr. Fauci. The left will not allow it. They will ban a new, they will complain about a news organization covering a press conference of doctors. And then every social media company will ban those uh, videos, even though the news company just filmed a press conference and no one will hear otherwise. And thus, the economic shutdown will continue because it's the only thing anyone can hear about. No matter how many times I've said starvation is coming, total collapse is coming. The mainstream media doesn't allow for these conversations. Some, some articles have popped up, but at the national level, these national reporters don't bring it up. So what happens? 15 days to slow the spread has turned into six plus months or around six months. And now the cities are just dissolving because we have cultural problems, absolute cultural problems. The Democrats in Los Angeles face a very similar problem because they're all diehard Democrats with no competition. They, 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 they just keep going further and further left. Their policies, their plans make no sense. It just appeases the ideas of the people who they, they want to vote for them. And it becomes increasingly unhinged until the whole state is now in free fall. And their only option is to try and siphon money away from people who don't even live there anymore. I'd like to see how that plays out. A state like Texas, I can't imagine sending in their law enforcement saying you got a warrant in another state. The FBI would have to do it. 
I don't think the federal government's going to arrest someone because they tax evaded in the state. I mean, maybe they will. Maybe they'll say, hey, you got a warrant in the state. You cross state lines. I don't think California can enforce that. I really don't think so. And I think a judge would throw it out. Or maybe California will say, if you ever enter our state again, we have handcuffs with your name on it. The separation of the states. That's how crazy it would be. Keeping in mind, it's, it's, it's proposed. It's not actually being implemented. I'm just saying that's how crazy things are that they would even think about doing something like that. Take a look at this. Manhattan apartment rents plunge 10% in pandemic fueled exodus. Here's another one. Leaving New York. Why you might see higher tax bills. CNBC says coronavirus has spurred some people to flee large cities for second homes in different states. What may have started as a brief jaunt to a different location is looking more like a long-term arrangement as the pandemic approaches its sixth month. This raises potential tax consequences. States are becoming desperate for revenue, which means audit risk is up. They want to, they want their slice of your income. Oh yeah, baby. The wealthy are going to flee in panic. The tax base will erode because it's not even about the wealthy. It's about the middle class as well. Everyone's going to spread out far and wide. And we are going to see states like West Virginia, Montana, Idaho, Iowa, New Hampshire, smaller, more rural states with more freedom are going to see massive increases in population. And you know what? It's a good thing. But be warned. I mean, look, I'm about to get out of New Jersey. How long until New Jersey says, no way, you owe us money? No matter what, they're just going to try and milk and siphon more. Phil Murphy is a, is a, is a tyrant, the governor of New Jersey, as is Cuomo. New, Jer- uh, New Jersey is particularly bad, mind you. So what? Are they going to allow all these businesses to flee? They're going to try and do something, I think. Otherwise, what happens? This is the end of many of these blue states. It is the end of many of these blue cities. And we're seeing it in real time. I can't imagine that with rolling blackouts now, people are comfortable and people are planning on staying. But I'll tell you what, man, some people can't move. But let me just say, with the riots, with the, with the general unrest, with the mismanagement. We've seen the exodus and the pandemic. We've seen people talking about exodus. If a rolling blackout isn't enough for you to realize it will get worse, I don't have to tell you. But let me just add the positive at the end of the story. It's about time we had people move out and start, you know, bringing life into many of these more rural areas. I've been looking at some very rural areas. Surprisingly, you can get some good internet in the middle of the country. And a lot of these, these local jurisdictions need life. They need people. I think this will ultimately make us stronger. We've centralized too much in these cities. And so they say the night is always darkest before the dawn. So while we can look at these cities and we can shake our heads, you need to realize in the end, this may be a door closing and a window opening in that the failed policies of these cities, which dictated at, at, a, national, uh, at, at a national level because of population density and because the amount of Congress people centralized in these big cities, all of that's going to start going away. I think, you know, we're going to face some trouble and it's going to look bad. But hopefully in the long run, a lot of people are going to flip their politics in a certain way. They're going to say no more of this broken, you know, policy. They're going to go to rural areas and breathe life into these places that we're losing population. We're going to see the emergence of new towns, new cities, new ideas. I think it will strengthen and end the cultural stagnation that we've seen for the longest time. I'm actually fairly... Uh, I'm excited. I am. I'm, I'm moving to a rural area. I'm really excited about it. I'm excited for the new adventure. I was in New York for a long time and it's boring. It became this big mess. Everybody wanted to be there, but it became generic and homogenized. It's about time we saw 
new businesses, new music, new movies, new culture, new games, new ideas. And this will happen when people spread out and go to separate different urban, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, rural areas. That can be the light at the end of this dark tunnel. I look forward to it, man. But you know what? The very last thing, I guess, is there's a, I think there's a wake up call for a lot of people that these, these democratic policies have completely failed. And I think this is going to dramatically change how this government is run. So I'm fairly optimistic in, in terms of what comes after November. Mind you, I can talk about the negativity and the riots and all these things, but look further ahead. There's a positive coming from all of this. I am going to be in a rural area. Well water, man, think about that. I've been on city water my whole life. Well, I was briefly on well water. We had uranium in it. That was kind of crazy. It was from, from farms. But I'm going to be in a rural area very soon. I'm super excited about it. I get to you know fire a bow and arrow in the backyard, skate and do whatever I want. I have to worry about neighbors or anything like that. It actually sounds really exciting. And there are some local small towns and there is community. And it'll be really nice to actually have neighbors, you know, to actually have a community and talk about community events. So I think this is, I think this is a good thing. I really do. New York has had to lose a couple delegates, uh, uh, electoral college uh, votes. They're set to lose two reps because of the census. I kind of think it's great. <laughs> it'll, it'll help spread things out and it'll, it'll help restore a lot of, you know, I guess, individuality throughout this country. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. over at TimCast.net, and I will see you all then. Ever the bastion of great journalism, Rachel Maddow did her duty to inform her audience of the Durham investigation's criminal indictment, because of course she's been so obsessed with the Russia probe and Russiagate, she needed to make sure everybody knew that an ex-FBI lawyer altered evidence in order to get a warrant against presumably Carter Page to spark an ongoing fake invest. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. No, Rachel Maddow, in fact, did not talk about the Russia probe for which she was so obsessed with forever. Of course she didn't, because Rachel Maddow is like the WWE of news. And I mean, no disrespect to WWE, because everybody knows it's world wrestling entertainment. Rachel Maddow is not news. She's an entertainment channel, and she wants to entertain those who hate Donald Trump. So when information comes out that, for one, debunks her entire narrative, she begrudgingly reported on the results of the Mueller probe. But is she now going to tell her audience that, in fact, criminal wrongdoing was discovered on the side of the investigators? And in fact, this ex-FBI lawyer is set to plead guilty? No. I'll tell you what she will talk about, though. <gasps> salacious. Rachel Maddow narrates salacious excerpts from Michael Cohen's new book, Disloyal. You know why this deeply offends me? Because I entertained Russiagate. I did. Now, I was skeptical of it in a lot of, for a lot of reasons, but I often would say things like, listen, everybody, there's an investigation. It may uncover things. Let's see what the investigation finds, because I was willing to operate in good faith under the assumption that there was a, a real reason for an investigation. And I didn't know. I'd also talked to some prominent MSNBC personalities in person. I asked them, I was like, do you really believe that, you know, uh, Donald Trump was colluding? And they said, we, we really do. We think there's evidence. And I was like, wow, that's fascinating. And I, I had some people say things like, we've seen it. You know, we've seen some. I'm like, wow, it was all fake news. It was all fake news uh, uh, just, just used to drum up ratings. And this is the best evidence. Rachel Maddow could continue the Russia uh, obsession and talk about where the probe is going. Oh, but it would make Trump look good. So she'd rather rather read salacious excerpts from Michael Cohen's book. Well, guess what? Her ratings took a hard hit and it was all fake news. Check this out. 
MSNBC Rachel Maddow skips Durham probes guilty plea despite previous Russia obsession. The cable news star has seen her ratings drop since the conclusion of the Mueller investigation, despite millions of potential viewers largely confined to their homes. Everybody's ratings are going up, Rachel. Why aren't yours? You should have talked about Durham. Wouldn't wouldn't people respect her if she said, I spent a lot of time speculating as the results of the Mueller probe. And as it turns out, we were actually led astray. I would I'd have tremendous respect for her. I'd, I'd do a segment. I'd be like, wow, bravo. Good for you, Rachel. Matt. I really no. Of course she wouldn't. If she does in the future, you know what? I'll come back and I'll apologize for criticizing her for not having done so so far. Maybe she's waiting for a bigger story, but I'm not going to give her the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to go ahead and assume no. Rachel Maddow is not going to cover it. She hates Trump, and this makes him look good. Fox reports MSNBC's Rachel Maddow was once the go to cable news host for the latest developments on what she believed was collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. Now she seems to be steering clear of the latest developments that undermine the narrative she pushed for years. On Friday, former FBI lawyer Kevin Kleinsmith was expected to plead guilty to making a false statement in the first criminal case arising from U.S. Attorney John Durham's review of the investigation into links between Russia and the 2016 Trump campaign, the so-called Russia origins investigation. Two sources close to the matter told Fox News. Kleinsmith was referred for potential prosecution by the Justice Department's inspector general's office, which conducted its own review of the Russia investigation. Specifically, the inspector general accused Kleinsmith, though not by name, of altering an email about Trump, former Trump campaign advisor Carter Page to say that Page was not a source for another government agency. Page has said he was a source for the CIA. The Justice Department relied on that assertion as it submitted a third and final renewal application in 2017 to eavesdrop on Page under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. However, Despite MSNBC covering the expected guilty plea earlier in the day, Maddow completely avoided the subject during a primetime show. Quote, the Rachel Maddow show has seen its ratings slide since the conclusion of the Mueller investigation, despite an unprecedented news cycle focused on the coronavirus pandemic, unrest in U.S. cities and the 2020 presidential election. The Maddow slide also comes as millions of potential TV viewers have been largely confined to their homes because of virus virus related shutdowns. Late last year, Maddow similarly failed to mention the abuses of the highly controversial FISA application process uncovered by Justice Department Inspector General Michael E. Horowitz in her exclusive sit down with ex-FBI lawyer Lisa Page, who earlier this year became an MSNBC contributor. Bravo, MSNBC. You know what I said? Ever the bastion of great journalism? Let me just say quite the opposite. A complete trash fire of garbage actually hiring Lisa Page. Wow. MSNBC, they know no bounds. Maddow isn't the only cable news personality to ignore Kleinsmith's guilty plea during primetime. CNN's Anderson Cooper ignored the major news during his two hours on air. His colleague Don Lemon did the same in the 10 p.m. time slot. Among the evening broadcast programs, NBC Nightly News also skipped the FBI controversy, while ABC's World News Tonight and the CBS Evening News addressed it. Because, well, you should. Now, I can't say that I'm surprised actually to hear that NBC Nightly News skipped it, because NBC has been infected with far left intersectional garbage reporting. I kid you not. 
Of course, we can see that Rachel Maddow had her priorities straight, talking about Michael Cohen's salacious book, because, you know, celebrity gossip in the political realm is someone's got to talk about it, right? You know, NBC News once ran fake news about me because they're obsessed. Well, let's let's see, because because I, I will I will entertain. So I'll, I'll entertain both uh, narratives. I will entertain Russiagate. And when it comes out as fake, say it was fake. So 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 what does Rachel Maddow have to say about Michael Cohen's book? The host of the Rachel Maddow show on MSNBC on Thursday read excerpts from Michael Cohen's forthcoming book uh, on his time as Donald Trump's lawyer and fixer. The book, Disloyal, a memoir, the true story of the former personal attorney to President Donald J. Trump, is set to be released before the November election. Cohen released the foreword to his book online, which describes allegations of deviant adult activities and a back channel to Vladimir Putin. On Thursday, the hashtags for urine trouble Trump and golden showers Trump trended on Twitter after Cohen's allegations. Well, I just got to say, I, I'm absolutely impressed. Rachel, this is a, I want to I clap for you. I'm so glad that you covered the PP tapes and ignored a criminal investigation into government corruption. Wow. This is, tr- it truly takes some kind of special, wow. I don't know. What's the opposite of integrity? Shamelessness? to cover the PP tapes. Cohen also described receiving hundreds of death threats after flipping on Trump. That I believe that's that's inappropriate. Quote, I urge you to really consider that fact. Trump has no true friends. He has lived his entire life avoiding and evading taking responsibility for his actions. He crushed or cheated all who stand in his way. But I know where the skeletons are buried because I was the one who buried them. I was the one who most encouraged him to run for president in 2011. And then again in 2015 carefully orchestrating the famous trip down the escalator in Trump Tower for him to announce his candidacy, Cohen wrote. No, I don't believe it. Michael Cohen is a has-been nobody who did nothing, and he wants some kind of limelight and credit, and he knows now that he's going to prison or whatever's going to happen, he needs something, something to prepare for his future and provide for, you know, himself and his loved ones. So what can he do? Hey, orange man bad, why not? So here we go. He flips, he writes a nasty book. He makes a bunch of salacious arguments. Rachel Maddow cannot resist because she's like a a, a vulture, a parasite scraping the bones of all of the orange man bad narrative. Talk about complete and utter commentary garbage. You know what, man? I have no problem praising Democrats when Democrats do well. And I say this all the time. I have no problem talking about the merits of Russiagate and what really happened and arguing for or against them and highlighting pros and cons. But you don't get that from mainstream press. Anderson Cooper won't talk about it. Rachel Maddow won't talk about it. All of a sudden, she doesn't care about Russiagate. But she will read to you accusations from somebody who doesn't like the president. Why? Because she doesn't either. And that's the only thing she's good for. I find it hilarious that people who watch MSNBC would come to my channel and comment, Tim's a grifter, and post it on Twitter. It's like, I'll, 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 I'll read what she said. I'll criticize it. I will absolutely talk about what Rachel Maddow did talk about. And I'll criticize her for it. I think it's fair to talk about criticisms of the president. Some people say it's a tired shtick, Tim, when you criticize Trump. I'll criticize him when he deserves it. And they, some people, they, they think there is no middle ground. They think that you're literally for or against everything. The world is black and white. Oh, sh- you know what? No, not everybody just loves Donald Trump. But regular people and people like me who don't have Trump derangement syndrome can recognize he's not that bad. And he's done a really good job. And it's fair to admit, over the past several years, he's really toned down a lot of the the awful rhetoric that I think really soured my, you know, 
my perception of the man. The past few press conferences have, have press conferences have been quite professional and calm, and they are desperate to smear the guy. Notably, the Kamala Harris thing. He's asked about the, the birth of thing. He's like, mm, I just, I don't know anything about it. Hey, thank you. And they are so desperate, but Trump isn't giving it to him. And bravo, there is tact and there is class in Trump doing better. And I absolutely respect it, 100%. So for Rachel Maddow to avoid being honest just shows what she really is. She doesn't care about the truth. She doesn't care about making things better. She cares about money and ratings. Well, your ratings are in the, are in the trash pile because you have no integrity. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up in a few minutes. Stick around and I will see you all shortly. A moron, far leftist, who torched an NYPD cruiser while wearing a Guy Fox mask is arrested just hours after taunting FBI agents by scrawling too late on his apartment wall. You spoke too soon, my friend, and you underestimated the power of federal law enforcement. Look, man, we have seen mass surveillance. We know just how bad it is. What makes you think you're going to you're going to torch a vehicle, cut brake lines or do any of this ridiculous, violent garbage and get away with it? Well, to be fair, in New York, they've been releasing many of these criminals in Fort Worth, in Seattle, in Portland. So maybe they thought, haha, you can't do anything. Nah, I'm sorry, man. We got these two lawyers through apparently supplied or through Molotov cocktails. And now they're going to go to, they might, they might go to prison for life. So what made you think they were too late? I got away. Ha ha. Nope. They got them. And you know what we're hearing now? I'll, 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 and, I'll, and I'll jump into this after the, after this main story. Voters favor a crackdown on violent protests. Most Democrats disagree because Democrats have lost their minds. They're so obsessed with winning. They don't care that people are literally setting vehicles on fire and nearly killing others. In some instances, literally killing them. In the George Floyd riots, we had 30 dead. So come on. It's about time to end this, don't you think? Peaceful protests are fine. Daily Mail reports a New York man accused of torching an NYPD patrol car has been held without bail after police arrived at his apartment and found a smiley face spray painted onto the wall in the words, too late. Construction worker Sam Resto, 29, was arrested on Thursday at his work having left the message in his queen's apartment to taunt the police earlier. Resta reportedly told police he had a feeling they were coming for him. His passport was in his backpack, and he admitted to the FBI he intended to flee. Prosecutor said, look at this moron. What were you trying to accomplish by torching a police vehicle? I don't, I don't know what this photo is. It's probably enough to get you know, YouTube mad at me, but it looks like he's torching a police vehicle. Listen, what do you accomplish by smashing a window? What do you accomplish by burning a police vehicle? minor damage at taxpayer expense. I always would try to explain this to these far leftists. I'd say something like, listen, if you go to a Starbucks and you smash the window, what happens next? And they'd say, I don't know. Well, they board up the window, right? Yeah. They go back to work, right? Uh Uh-huh. It costs them a thousand dollars or whatever to replace the window. Yeah. Do you think Starbucks cares? I'll tell you what happens. You show up to a bank or a Starbucks or a McDonald's, you smash up the window And now a minimum wage worker shows up the next day and looks at the building and he looks up the sign saying temporarily closed. And he he calls his manager and his manager says, sorry, man, there's no work today because, you know, the window got smashed out. We can't open. And that 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 worker says, but but I need the hours I need. I need to pay my rent. Well, you can thank the extremists who went around smashing windows for no reason, because the corporate owners of Starbucks don't care. Now, the NYPD, what do you think happens? The police vehicle gets torched and they say, Okay, we need another one. 
And that's about it. It's, 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 it's a nuisance to the powers that be, and it's a major detriment to the people of the city. That's why these people are lunatics. They say the afternoon before uh, July 20, uh, on July 20, the afternoon before, okay, wait, hold on. Resto had been arrested twice before the alleged arson attack, once in July 10th for allegedly swinging a chain at someone during a parking dispute, and again on July 15th during an anti-police brutality protest on the Brooklyn Bridge. He was being watched by NYPD on the night of the attack in the early hours of July 19th. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, July 29th. The afternoon before, on July 28th, officers watched as he went to a gas station in Elmhurst and filled up a red jerry can with gasoline using the self-service pump. He then brought it back to his apartment. Officers said he was wearing a dark Adidas hat, a dark long sleeve top, dark jeans, dark Nike sneakers and gloves with the fingers cut off. He stayed home until 11.47 p.m. when he headed to Manhattan via a ride share, wearing the same clothes plus a a backpack, according to police. At 3.50 a.m. on July 29th, surveillance video captured someone wearing the same clothes, which police observed Resto wearing earlier, plus a Guy Fox mask, walking up to an NYPD Ford Fusion in the Upper West Side. The vehicle was parked at the corner of Columbus Avenue and West 83rd Street. Prosecutors claim the man in the video is Resto. Too late. There it is. A smiley face. Police arriving at Resto's Elmhurst apartment found graffiti saying too late. Look at this trash hole. Look how disgusting it is. These people are unwell. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to drag people who have disabilities or who are differently abled. This man has has clear mental issues. He needed help. How do you help violent, aggressive behavior? I honestly don't know. I don't think the prison system is going to help this man better himself or end his violent tendencies. But you can certainly see he's not functioning properly. And it really is sad. I wish we could help all of these people, but this guy's unhinged. I know there's a lot of people who believe that law and order should be punitive. I disagree. I think it should be rehabilitative. People like him should be, you know, put locked up for committing these crimes. And they should be locked up somewhere where it's not just welcome to the whole. It's something like, let's sit down and figure out how to make, you know, better you so that you're not destroying things. I think it's kind of interesting because rehabilitative justice, in many ways, as long as it's done properly, uh, if it's done improperly, you're basically creating re-education camps. And that's why there's a fine line. You know, if we're going to stop someone who's a violent criminal, we need to make sure that we follow the Constitution. The people who get locked up committed a clear crime. Their crime is violent, violence, harm, you know, a violent or, or harm, damaging property, hurting people. And then we bring them somewhere where we take care of them and, and, and help them do better and try and figure out how we can get this person back into society functioning properly so they're not living in, you know, trash squalor and then burning things to the ground. They're going to say, officers later found a backpack in the park near where they said they saw Resto. In the backpack was an Adidas hat, gloves with fingers cut off, a Guy Fox mask, a hammer, lighter, and a red jerry can. Officers said the can smelled of gasoline. Prosecutors said police pulled fingerprints from the can and matched them to Resto. Following Resto's arrest, police found a copy of the Anarchist's Cookbook, a book with recipes for bombs and other explosive devices. Resto is expected to have his first court appearance conducted by telephone on Friday. A spokesperson for the Department of Justice told Heavy. Prosecutors asked that Resto be held without bail pending his trial, claiming he is a flight risk and a danger to the community. They said that they said that the actions they allege were extraordinarily dangerous to the community and said that Resto's police record showed he was becoming increasingly unhinged. And he was. And he had a passport on him, they say. Yeah, he's a flight risk and he's dangerous. Well, you know what? It's about time. Check this out. Voters are ready for the police to put an end to the continuing violent protests nationwide 
Most also say the protests will be important to their vote in the upcoming election. When asked which is closer to their own thinking, 50% of likely U.S. voters say the police should crack down on the protests and to bring them to an end. A new Rasmussen report uh, reports national telephone and online survey finds that 38% disagree and believe the protests should be allowed to continue until the protesters decide to end them. That's insane. 11% are undecided. There's a sharp partisan disagreement on the question, though. While 75% of Republicans and a plurality of unaffiliated voters, 47%, think the police should crack down on the protests, just 31% of Democrats agree. 56% of Democrats say the protests should be permitted to continue until the protesters want to end them. Do not vote for Democrats. Wow. Do not give these people power. They are violent and they are unhinged. And the reason why they're probably saying not to stop the protests is because many of them are engaging in the protests. Shouldn't even call them protests. I think that may be where the confusion is. When you say protest over and over again and then show images of violent riots, Republicans think of riots when you say protest. When you say peaceful, peaceful, peaceful over and over again, Democrats think of people singing kumbaya and dancing, you know, and giving out flowers. These are violent riots. Ask the voter if they think the riots should be allowed to continue. And I'd be willing to bet most of them say, no, they shouldn't. Even Democrats. Well, I hope I'm wrong. I mean, I hope I'm right. 72% of all voters say they are concerned about the growing level of violent protest nationwide, with 43% who say they are very concerned. 62% say the growing level of violent protest is important to their vote in the next election, including 35% who say it is very important. The survey of a thousand likely voters. Okay, so we don't, we don't need to get into all that, but I'll tell you what, man. I believe that the greatest gift to Donald Trump is, is things like this. Democrats saying, no, no, let them continue. Okay, here's what I'd like to see. Make a video. You know, any one of these men in the street reporters could do this. Make a video. Ask these people, do you think that the, you know, the violent Black Lives Matter protests should be allowed to continue? And see how many people who identify as Democrats say, yes, they should. And then ask them about vandalism, looting. Do you believe looting is reparations? I think most people would say no. But for every Democrat who says yes, you're going to see a lot of unaffiliated and Republicans wince. I mean, it's worrisome. These people are marching through residential neighborhoods, attacking locals, demanding their property, saying white people get out of these houses. They did it in Seattle. They're showing up to random neighborhoods in Portland, fighting with police and yelling, no justice, no sleep. Regular people are just trying to survive and get by, man. You don't like the system? Well, that's too bad. I mean, you can, you can fight to reform the system through the proper channels, but attacking innocent people isn't how you do it. Not at all. Looting property, destroying businesses, and setting fire to police vehicles does nothing for you. They claim it does. They're wrong. The scientific data shows it. And they canceled the guy. He got fired because he pointed out, guess what? Riots don't work. Riots make people vote Republican. So maybe, you know what? They'll learn their lesson, I guess, when Trump landslides, because the Democrats are completely incapable of dealing with any of this. At least the cops were able to arrest this loony, though. I got one more segment coming up for you in a few minutes. Stick around, and I will see you all shortly. A little boy named Cannon Hittent was executed by a 25-year-old man. A lot of people were angry that the story was getting no mainstream news coverage. Yet we see things like the Covington kids get national coverage from all these big newspapers. It led to a massive outcry. People were, were, were livid, and for good reason. A lot of people felt there was a strong racial component to it. 
Cannon Hittant was a five-year-old white child, and the man who killed him was a 25-year-old black man. The idea being pushed by many was that if the narrative was inverted, it would be a national story. There was an online protest, I guess you could call it, say his name, and it resulted in finally news outlets covering the story, and it resulted in hundreds of thousands of dollars being raised for Cannon's family. It is a horrifyingly tragic story, and I'm really sad to hear about it. But there are memes popping up now from the left, which I find absolutely confusing. Why would anyone attack people who are trying to raise awareness for a little boy who was killed? It's the weirdest thing. And there are memes and these meme things that are popping up in comics make literally no sense. And it is blind to what the conservatives have actually been arguing about. I want to debunk a couple of these memes for you. And then I want to talk about Breonna Taylor. The issue we have here is that there's no argument. We're calling for justice. Why would anyone attack someone else for doing so? Especially from the left. The left likes to say, just because we say black lives matter doesn't mean we don't think that all lives don't matter. We are just focused on this particular issue. If that were true, why would they make the same assumption about a little boy who lost his life using false arguments and straw man arguments? Let's do this. Let's debunk this fake news. And then I've actually got an optimistic call for unity. I want to show you some interesting things. And I want to talk about justice for Breonna Taylor. This, to me, I think can be unifying for everybody. And we could actually, you know, maybe have an understanding. Take a look at this comic. In this comic, there's a guy in a MAGA hat. He says, what about this boy who was killed? Where are the protests for him? And there's a little dog for some reason who says, did they catch the guy who did it? The MAGA man says, yes. Did they arrest and charge him? The MAGA man says immediately. Is he going to jail? The MAGA man says forever. The dog replies, so what would we need to protest for? And the MAGA man is shocked into silence because they don't actually understand what conservatives were upset about. Conservatives were upset that when a kid standing on the stairs of the Lincoln Memorial is confronted by a Native American, the media attacked the kid. The kid didn't do anything wrong. Nick Sandman, the Covington kid, he got ruthlessly berated and insulted. Threats, high profile personalities saying they wanted to punch him in the face for doing literally nothing. This was a national story. Yet a little boy in his front yard, a man runs across the street and executes him and the news didn't care. Local news did. But national news, it didn't matter. That was the anger. It wasn't about protests. It was about media accountability. Why won't the news talk about this? They want to they want to make fun of a kid in a MAGA hat. And this is a really good example. This MAGA guy's response would be something like we would protest for the lack of media coverage for this atrocity, lack of support for the boy's family, a lack of discussion around violence targeting different communities. We would protest because we're tired of the media lying to us. Yeah, that's what he would say. But these memes, I've seen them relentlessly and I'm confused. I engaged in a conversation with one of the people who posted this, and I said, I don't understand why you're trying to discredit the idea that people deserve justice. I thought you wanted justice for Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and these other individuals who lost their lives. We do. And I said, then why would you post this comic that insults those who would also be asking for justice? Wouldn't you instead say, I'm so sorry to hear about what happened to Cannon. I'm so I'm so absolutely sad about this story. I'm, I'm here for you. Let me know what you need. And let me know what you ask for in terms of justice. And I humbly ask when we've we, we've dealt with your pain that you would help me in my quest for justice for Brianna Taylor. 
Why, 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 why would we disagree with each other? Why would we have a need for these memes to insult people who are sad about a little boy who died? Take a look at this. Another one. I'm outraged this young white boy was killed by a black man for no reason. The media isn't covering it, and we should all demand justice. They immediately went on a statewide manhunt, found him within 24 hours, charged him with first degree murder, and denied him bail. I don't want justice. I want black. I'm not, I'm not going to read the last one. They're just basically saying that these people don't actually want justice. They're just trying to silence Black Lives Matter. But notice how broken this meme is and how it makes literally no sense. I'm mad the media won't cover it. Yes. But then the next guy says they arrested him. The response should be burning the document about him being arrested, saying, I understand he was arrested. I'm mad the media won't highlight stories about these atrocities, but will attack another kid like Covington or highlight hoaxes from people like Justice Smollett. I'm upset the media is playing dirty games. These memes are fake news. They're not actually trying to explain anything other than to create hard divisions between people who would probably agree for the most part. Which brings me now to the second half of this. I will absolutely call out and debunk these fake memes, and I will absolutely highlight the case of Brianna Taylor. A no-knock raid from the police in plain clothes, and the, the, the boyfriend of Brianna Taylor, I believe it was her boyfriend, didn't know it was the police and fired a shot hitting one of the cops in the leg. The cops fired back, killing Brianna Taylor, completely innocent, accused of no wrongdoing. She lost her life. Now, this story is very complicated, but I personally believe there needs to be justice for Brianna Taylor. When you tell me agents of the state with no uniforms kick, kick in someone's door with guns and someone legally armed tries to defend themselves, they charge this guy with like attempted murder and they literally killed Brianna Taylor. I'm going to be upset about it, but I'm also going to look into the details and I'm going to say this. If you ask me for support in the Brianna Taylor case, because you want justice, I will say, absolutely. You think I'll get behind agents of the state killing people for who are innocent. No, never going to happen. But I'll also point out that it's not so simple as just arresting the officers. Many people have posted that, you know, arrest the officers who killed Brianna Taylor. Well, I looked into the story. I believe she she deserves justice. And I believe the justice needs to go well beyond the simplistic idea of putting people in prison. Perhaps these police officers knowingly falsified the warrant. They received a no-knock warrant, kicked the door, and we have this story here. Legal panel weighs in on possible charges, obstacles in prosecuting officers in Brown and Taylor case. Here's the challenge. When the officers kicked the door in, Walker, who was, uh, I believe, her boyfriend, fired a shot hitting the cops. The cops argue self-defense, which killed Brown and Taylor. So you've got a complicated situation here. Ultimately, I believe the state is at fault. I don't know if we can fault the individual officers based on the surface, la- surface level you know, analysis, le- the surface level legal analysis here. But I believe we need something like Brianna's law, an end to plain clothes, no knock warrants. What do you think the average person is going to do? They have a right to bear arms. You kick my door in unannounced. I'm going to assume you're a, you're a bad guy. And then you can kill someone in response. While I understand there's a challenge here in that the police officers followed legal pro- pro- uh, protocol, had a no-knock warrant, and it unfortunately re- resulted in the loss of life. I don't believe the system should be permitted to continue in this way. Ultimately, the point is this. Why is it easy for me to say Brianna Taylor's story is a tragedy? 
It must be looked into and justice must come in some form. There's been some kinds of justice for sure, but I believe, look, I'll tell you this right now. I understand the arguments for no knock warrants. I don't care. I don't. We have, we have a fourth amendment right to, you know, to be uh, safe from, from illegal search and seizure or unreasonable search and seizure. And I believe if an agent of the state in any capacity is wearing street clothes, kicks my door and armed, you expect me to just stand there and be like, it may be a burglar, but what if they say they're cops? Imagine this. A crazed lunatic far leftist kicks your door in and you're like, I just heard a noise and you grab your firearm and they yell, we're the police. You go, okay, I'll just put my weapon down and assume this person is a good guy. Or it could be some extremist lying. It could be a burglar or a criminal. Somebody wants to rob you now knowing I can just say I'm a cop and they won't fight back. No, I'm sorry. Badges out, police on your vest, identifiable, clearly visible. And yes, they should expect homeowners that will be armed. And when they kick your door in and they say police, I, I actually, I don't think they should be no knock warrants. I think they should have to knock. The police should surround the perimeter. They should then come to your door and knock and say, open up. This is the police. Give it some time and then enter with armor on clearly visible police markings. I believe justice needs to come in some in, in the form of some kind of law or policy change. Now, in this article, they mention there may be reckless endangerment charges because one guy got shot. They fired in self-defense, but they fired like 20 times and killed Granite Taylor. I'm not the legal expert on this one. I'm not going to tell you what should or shouldn't be done. Just give you my opinion. The point is, I will tell you this. There's no reason to make memes slamming people who are mourning the loss of a little boy. You just simply say, let's have a conversation. I'm here for you. I understand you're sad and I understand you're angry. And there's no reason to like falsely label, like to trick people. It's just ridiculous. And for everybody else, we absolutely are concerned about the, the, the police no-knock warrants killing people. Why don't we come together and talk about what we want to accomplish instead of making memes to just mock and belittle each other? I think we can. At least that's what I'm hoping to do here, right? So I think people should pay attention to the Breonna Taylor case, have a real conversation about it. I think people on the right should be more open to talking about many of these issues, and I think they are. And I think many people on the left should be more open to listening to what conservatives have to say about stories like Ken and Hint, and then we can make the world a better place. I'll see you all tomorrow in the next in the next segment coming up at 10 a.m. Thanks for hanging out.